Hello, you are now listening to the Modem Podcast, where we deconstruct, examine, and discuss deeply technical data networking and information technology topics. Sit back and relax while we fire up Dial D and the 9600 baud modem and connect to the Wildcat BBS. and welcome to the very first, uh, what are we calling it? Low latency, non-blocking, basically a uh, very short tech briefing, I guess. I don't really know what to call it, but, uh, you know, a a shorter version of the modem podcast where we just kind of go over the interesting things that happen to pop up. Um, I don't know if we'll do this with any regularity, but we could. What spawned this was was essentially a uh, something interesting that's come up within the global routing table. Um, now this has kind of been percolating for a little bit. There was some there was some stuff a couple of years ago, and then it came back up again in January. Um, but this is particularly interesting because it affects something that I think a lot of very large organizations may have been taking for granted for quite a while. And to go down this winding, rambling journey with me is, as always, the brains of the operation, Chris Cummings. Hello, hello. And as usual, he sounds very NPR because he's got an (laughs) awesome microphone. You know, I was thinking as you were doing the intro, maybe variable length subnet something. I don't know. There's got to be a good name. (laughs) Classful addressing. Yeah. If anybody listening has a good name, let us know, because apparently we don't. <laughs> yeah, we don't have one. Maybe classless. That actually uh, that sums not, up. Not, cl- not classless addressing, just classless. <laughs> it just sums us up. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It really does. But this is really interesting um, and, and probably not terribly surprising, really. But I think there are going to be a fair few people that are going to be hair on fire about it, um, as has already been demonstrated. Uh, and, and what I'm referring to is the fact that the um, Department of Defense IPv4 address space has been announced. Um, it pr- previously not been announced globally. I did a little bit of looking on BGP Play on the RipeStat page, and I didn't see a whole. I couldn't. I, I wasn't patient enough to dig back far enough to see when it actually got announced, but. What we're talking about here isn't just a little bit of address space. It's a whole Brinks truck full of address space if you're talking about dollar wise. Um, so, so we're talking about 5.8 roughly billion dollars worth of address space if you're counting it as what, $20 per IPv4 slash 32. Um, and, and what that, you know, really equates to is, uh, what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen slash eights. Yeah. Um, and these aren't any just any slash eights. These are like six dot zero 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 slash eight seven dot whatever. Like the one that was notably missing in there is the one that MIT had, which is eight dot whatever slash eight. And the real thing that I think is interesting here is that for the longest time, this was essentially darknet, right? Didn't, it mm-hmm. didn't exist. And so folks that didn't understand the global routing and how it works and how addresses are allocated and whatever actually just started using this as the, a, a rough equivalent to RFC 1918 space. It's like that meme, you know, with the salesman slapping the roof of the car. It's like, you can fit so much IPv4 in this bad boy. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and, and that, that went 
was largely not a problem for the longest period of time because it just, you know, there was no way to reach it otherwise. So it was essentially dark space. And I was even guilty of this, not with any of this address space, but, you know, back when I was learning in the mid nineties, I had used 90.000 as RFC 1918 space because I didn't understand that I couldn't. Um, and I did have to go back and fix all that. And it was a big chore, but there's a lot of people out there that have used this internally because they've run out of 1918 space and they've run out of um, maybe even RFC 6598 space, which is the CGN 100.6400 slash 10 big orgs that, you know, have, I'm going to get on my high horse for a minute and I'm going to say they refused or been unable to convert to IPv6 have just needed it. And so they used it and this is going to start to cause problems. So fill me in a little bit because I haven't been following this too closely. I saw back in January or so there was a Nanog thread that went by about this topic. Uh, What's kind of the history of this? When did this announcement start roughly? And, you know, is this something that the DOD is officially saying or is this a hijack? Because I think I've heard both. And I think there's a lot of unsurety around this. Yeah, there's a lot of people that were speculating that it's a hijack. But if you start to dig a little bit deeper, it is pretty legitimate. Um, The first time I saw a reference to it was uh, mid January. uh, And I think it probably happened before that. I didn't actually go to dig to see exactly the date that this was announced. Um, Mm -hmm. But anyone that you know, has access to route views data or anything like that can go and figure it out. It's pretty straightforward. Um, and, and there was a lot of speculation because it didn't really like, there was no rigmarole. There was no pomp and circumstance around when it happened. It just sort of was there. Somebody noticed it probably because they saw a problem. Um, because as soon as that starts to de-aggregate, then anybody that's used it internally is going to start to have a problem if they are not if they have a full table and, and again, this is, this is real problems start to arise, right? It, it'll show up when say you, you're an organization that has a, a global table um, that you're receiving from an upstream or a series of upstream providers. And there's more specific routes for any of these slash eights. You're probably going to start to see that, you know, eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have that internally, then you're going to take the more specific routes uh, depending on how your routing architecture is set up, right? You know, it's always going to take your IGP first, right? Normal routing policies apply. So if I'm Joe's widget shop and I'm using, you know, seven slash eight internally and they've started advertising, you know, seven slash nine and seven dot one twenty eight slash nine, then all of a sudden my internal traffic, if I was just using that as a slash eight is going to start going out the way in possibly depending on how my routing is configured. Well, I think it would have to be a little bit more specific than that because you've probably broken that up into 24s or 27s or 25s or however you do it. But as soon as it starts to devolve, it'll, it'll potentially cause problems. And, and more importantly, it's just, it's bad form. Mm -hmm. You know, it's inappropriate use of address space that you don't own. I mean, it's like saying, well, you weren't using your car, so I just came and took it because I needed to run errands, right? It's Mm-mm. no big deal. You weren't using it, right? Why can't I use it? It's conceptually exactly the same as that. Um, it, to me, personally, it doesn't matter if it's totally obfuscated. Yeah. Like, it's still not, the, it's still not appropriate to do that. 
um, because of this exact reason, right? Sooner or later, somebody will start to do something with it and then it will cause problems. And we saw this historically with um, the one dot slash whatever that Cloudflare took. You know, there yep. were vendors that had been using one dot one dot one dot one or whatever it was as like a, what was a captive portal addressing for yep. wireless gateways and it was the default on like Cisco's. That. It was the default on Cisco's WLCs for quite a while and right. Also used in documentation, people who don't use the documentation range um, when they're building a vendor doc. And then all of a sudden, you know, you just have a bunch of people blindly following that that documentation and they're going, okay, yep. I set the IP to 1.1.1.1. What's next? Yeah, that drives me b- b- bananas when, when folks <laughs> don't use the right addressing in their documentation. I, I, I don't know why, um, because I am historically not great at documentation myself, but that was one thing that sort of grates on me a little bit, you know, at least, at least have the understanding to use the correct terminology. Mm-hmm. Maybe that comes from some of my uh, creative writing background, but, um, again, you know, this is a lot of address space, six, seven, 11, 21, 22, 26, 28, 29, 30, 33, 55, 214, 215, all slash eights. Um, and you know, if, if you care to go see it, you know, it's pretty easy to look. And I think this is part of the reason that, that folks were saying like, wait a minute, this is not legitimate because it was being, um, originated from AS 8003 into Hurricane Electric, which is AS 6939. And um, I think there was some ambiguity on what the name of that that net name was uh, for, for AS 8003, which has mostly been addressed. And um, I'm not sure if that actually changed or not. But if you look at it, it does actually say DOD in the, you know, in the net name. And you can mm-hmm. go to um, you can go to BGP stuff and look at that, you know, look at AS pass for those things. If you want to, we'll put a link to that in the notes, but this is something that is, is a much bigger deal than people are letting on. And it's, and it's legitimate, right? It's not a, you know, it doesn't appear to be any kind of, you know, nefarious behavior. Yeah. Um, I just looked it up on BGP stuff.net and it's GRS dash DOD for AS 8003 which is yeah. that got fixed pretty recently. Cause I was just looking at this yesterday or the day before, and it was still showing some name of some company with some outdated data. And there was definitely some speculation flying by on, on Nanog and other places online about, well, hold on. Like this LLC didn't even exist, you know, <laughs> when this was starting to give the announced. So definitely people started putting on their internet sleuthing hats and thinking that there was something suspect and, I'm sure there was a little wishful thinking in there because like I said, there's a lot of organizations that have used this space and don't want to deal with that. Cause there's in addition to just like receiving more specifics from your upstreams, you know, if you're an enterprise and you're not even running BGP, this can still affect you. You know, if you're natting out, even if you're natting your address space, this can still affect you because, mm-hmm. you know, once these, you know, slash eights start getting doled out and sold off, if that's going to happen, then, they're going to start being used and they're going to start being used most likely if I were to guess by cloud providers, you know, mm-hmm. those are kind of the, the people who can afford to buy slash eights and stuff like that. So, you know, what will happen is you're going to try to access something like a website, like, you know, some AWS domain, you're going to get that IP address back. Your computer is going to send traffic to it. And then you're going to end up hitting some random place on your local network. Or, or you don't have that route in your local network, right? So let's say you've only used the, you know, 
part of it. You don't have that route in your local network and you're going to, somebody mistypes something, uh, it's going to send it out. And what happens if it's something that is, you know, ends up being, you know, something you don't want your, your, uh, your users to look at, or, you know, mm-hmm. worst case scenario, it's something bad. Um, uh, that's something to be concerned about. Um, all in all, it's just, it, it's a, it's a worry, I guess. Um, maybe a big one, maybe not depending on what your, your posture is on it, but it's something that I think folks were not prepared to deal with. Um, and that's why there's been a fair amount of chatter about it. You know, there's seen some Twitter threads. There's obviously the Nanog thread from uh, mid to late January. And you, you can kind of go through and read that Nanog thread. And we'll put a link to that um, where it, it kind of lays out like, hey, you know, here's the go read these things. Right. Um, but the, uh, you know, the, the short of it is people are probably going to have to adjust. Um, and there's two takeaways, at least for me here, because regardless of what, you know, potential problems it could introduce, what people who are, you know, clamoring for IPv4 going to say is, well, now I can push back my IPv6 deployment even further. Um, to which I would respond, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> don't do that. Do IPv6 now uh, and don't worry about this kind of stupid stuff. Uh, because again, it's painting over rust. It's kicking the can down the road even further. Use this as an opportunity to say, you know what, maybe I should dual stack this, or maybe I should just move to V6 and be done and do a NAT64 DNS64 with, you know, or whatever translation mechanism you want to move to. You know, this is, don't think of it as a problem, think of it as an opportunity. Yeah, and I've seen people online already trying to capitalize on that and already trying to capitalize on the fact that like, oh, it's free real estate and wanting to use this new IP space and, well, not new, but new to them, IP space and thinking, wow, now I might be able to actually get, you know, a slash 23 for my, you know, small medium enterprise. And people are starting to get a little excited about it. And I even saw one comment online that really started to worry me, which was, yeah, well, wait till you see how much IP space universities have was the comment. And that comment was kind of in the context of like those universities need to give up their IP space. And I, you know, I think it's, it's, it's just, it's just a losing game. And I think especially in the research education area, you know, you know, if you're holding on to big chunks of IP space, I'll even say, selling that off puts you kind of does the internet a disservice (laughs) as a whole, because it lets people kick the can down the road. just a little bit more, a little bit more. And we're at the point with V6 where we just got to go. Like we got to stop worrying about V4 and just move along. Like it's the legacy protocol. Get with the program. And, uh, I just, I'm really curious to see how this plays out and how, you know, if this signals to other public entities that have vast swaths of IP space, if they're going to start going, hmm, we can make some money, too. Yeah. I mean, I, for one, I, I really enjoy the the color of the high horse that you're sitting on now because it's the same color as mine. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not wrong. The universities have largely been um, allocated um, address space, likely grandfathered in. Right. Mm-hmm. So pre, you know, pre RIRs and stuff. And for the most part, you know, I spent a very large chunk of my career, you know, at a a major R1 university and darn near all that address space is used. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's in use. 
right. there's also a, a healthy amount of RC 1918 space also in use because big universities, the ones that are, you know, the research facilities and the ones that have these big allocations, they've been around a very long time. And, you know, they have more of a service provider style of architecture than they do in enterprise. And in, in, in some cases, not always, but, you know, and a lot of times, you know, addressing on hosts is public, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, every single desktop has a public V4 address. Um, that's not always the case, but it, you know, it is a lot of times. And they're like pulling that out of there is a Herculean task. And I don't think that's going to happen because, or at least it won't happen in large waves because it's so it's so laborious to do so. And you know, a lot of universities are operating with, you know, fewer people than they actually need and mm-hmm. not enough time to do all the things they need to do. Uh, because if you think about a university network, it's a service provider, it's an enterprise, it's maybe also a research facility. It's all those things together. Some of them have PCI you know, compliance. Some of them have HIPAA requirements that they have to meet because, you know, they might have a medical school. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a potpourri of different <laughs> architectures all under one or, or, or two ASNs, right? right? It's not exactly a super straightforward thing to deal with. Um, so I think, you know, while that might be true, like, Hey, guess how much address based universities have? Sure. Right. Good luck. Yeah. I worked at one for a long time. That would have been the lowest thing on the list unless somebody really needed money. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you actually add up the cost, like we threw out that $5.8 billion number, which, you know, is at the current market price. So that doesn't include, I think, throwing, you know, probably, I don't know, almost probably seven years worth of demand, eight years worth of demand of IPv4 onto the market all at once. So I don't think it would actually go for that much. And so I definitely don't see institutions that hold, uh, you know, especially like pre-RIR institutions that hold just tons of address space. I don't see them selling that to make money because A, first off, it just doesn't fit into a lot of those funding models. And so they just wouldn't know. (laughs) There's just no mechanism to sell off assets like that. But I think, you know, also, I don't know. The labor. I mean, there's just a lot of labor to tear it out. Yeah. It's a lot of Maybe it'll happen. You never know. I mean. Yeah. It makes me wonder if we're, you know, there's often been talked about the bathtub curve of pricing when it comes to IPv4. So, you know, obviously it was handed out for no cost by, you know, well, pre-RIR and then by RIRs. And then, you know, once RIRs ran out, the market cost comes up, starts climbing, and it's like an inverse bathtub. And then, you know, at some point it's going to plateau. And I kind of wonder if this, you know, starts that plateau or if we keep going from here, who knows? It'll be really interesting to see what this does to the pricing on secondhand IP space. Yeah, I I think it'll probably change it. Uh, But of course, you know, I don't really pay attention to that, so I don't know. But, you know, uh, the other thing is that I wanted to bring up is uh, one of the reasons that I think the um there were there were folks that were thinking that this was not legitimate was the fact that there's no ROAs for mm. it. It wasn't signed. And you know that's that could have been an easy, very easy um well I'm air quoting right e- easy it, by some definition of easy uh, mechanism mm-hmm. for sort of alleviating the, the the fear that this was a serious hijack. But 
Um, in retrospect, sure, that probably should have been done. Yeah. But I didn't do it. So, you know, could have been reasons it didn't happen. Uh, but, you know, the, the fact that it's out there and it isn't signed and it's now active in one shape or another is it just is what it is. But I think, you know, the, the folks that are really interested in this kind of thing will if you do a little bit of sleuthing, you'll find that there is a huge amount of IPv4 space that is still it's out there and some of it's not announced. And, you know, there are organizations that have been around a long time that have giant, giant allocations and don't use them, or they may use them internally and not announce them into the global table. Um, I know for sure there are a handful of those we're talking, you know, handfuls of slash 16s and, 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 um, and smaller slash 14s and stuff. They're, just, they're not around. They're not announced. They might be used internally, yeah. Um, which it's your address space. You can do whatever you want with it. But, you know, that that's something that, to be aware of that, that it's not just these. Like there's more of this out there. There's a there's a fair bit more of this out there just in the Aaron region. I don't know about the others. I'm not as familiar with those. Yeah. Well, it'll definitely be an adventure for those people that have been a squatting this space, having to deal with that. And uh, I think it'll also be an adventure for the people who end up buying it. Um that's going to be interesting. I mean, getting secondhand IP space comes with a lot of caveats. Like it's not necessarily that clean of a transition. I mean, you've got your spam lists, like reputation, reputation lists. And I mean, even just cleaning up Bogon filters, I can't recall, but I've, I know I've seen some DOD space. I don't know if it was this DOD space, but I've seen some DOD space that shows up in Bogon filters. Um, which I think is ill-advised to, to, to treat these as bogons because they're not bogons, but people have done that and people have been filtering out DOD space and you're going to yeah. have a rude awakening having to clean that up, deal with support costs, all that stuff. Yeah, I think a good case study is is probably the Cloudflare uh, one net that they got because you know that 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 at least is close. So maybe we should expect to see something a little bit close to the, you know, what that what that journey was for them on a much larger scale, um, because there's more of this and it's, you know, it's bigger nets. Um, but, you know, I tend to go by the Team Cymru Bogon list that that to me is the one that I trust. Um, and we'll put a link to that, too. So you can go and look and, and you, Team Cymru is a great project and you can peer with that and you can get a BGP feed or uh, I think they even offer it over like HTTP and maybe even mm-hmm. DNS. Like there's a <laughs> there's a bunch of ways that they allow you to grab this Bogon space. So you're saying um, I don't have to make my own Bogon filters out of what I feel should be blocked? No, <laughs> you shouldn't do that. <laughs> um, that should be a different filter. Um but if you want to, you know, you want to filter things like the special use prefixes like RFC 5735, you know, that's that's a start. Um, yeah. And that I believe that one actually encompasses the 1918 space, too. So that that's a that's a reasonable thing to start with. You know, it's got, you know, the one, two, seven, zero, zero and the other, uh, you know, the other spaces that you should never see outside of. Uh, you shouldn't see those on a global feed. Um, and th- that's a good way to, to filter that. So and we'll put a link to the to Team Cymru uh, Bogon filtering too so folks can go and look at that and understand how that works because that's actually a very cool project that anyone that's running a, a big, uh, you know, a big network should be aware of that. And they should probably set up a feed for it. Yeah, you mentioned that Cloudflare, um, you know, one slash eight 
that they used at least part of. And uh, like you said, we'll link that. They had some really good research on basically the background noise that they were capturing. And I believe that I believe that Ripe owns that space. I could be wrong on this, but I think Ripe actually owns that entire slash eight. And then they it's I think it's Apnic. Apnic, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's Apnic. I don't know. It's I'm too American to know about those other RIRs. <laughs> but yeah, they use it for like research stuff and whatnot. And and they have some pretty good statistics published around like how much background noise of just traffic goes to those prefixes once they started announcing them before handing it over to Cloudflare. And uh, I believe Cloudflare worked in concert with them on that. This also reminds me a little bit of the 44 slash eight debacle. Now, not it's not oh, identical, yeah, yeah. but that was, that was a huge thing. What was that about last year? Probably about a year ago or so. Um, when that's a for those who don't know, the 44 slash eight is a uh, subnet that was set aside for amateur radio, amateur packet radio. And, uh, you know, one of the organizations involved with that, I won't name names because I don't know them well enough to really <laughs> cast blame or anything, but, you know, just kind of went and sold it without talking to a bunch of people. And uh, I think Amazon holds that a slash nine out of that now. Yeah, that was a that was a big deal. There was a lot of unhappy um, amateur radio folks. Um, and I, I have a ham radio ticket in the U.S., but I don't follow any of the drama around it. Um, I just wanted to learn about cool RF stuff. So, <laughs> but I there was there was a fair bit of drama that went around with that too. We can maybe dig up a link on some of the nanog or one of the other lists about this but yeah i mean i guess this is uh this is interesting times that we're living in um i uh i don't have a whole lot more on this other than the fact that like this has happened uh it appears to be legitimate people may be interested in it uh and if they're not they probably should at least be aware of it so yeah do you have anything else to add chris yeah, I just think it's a good time to check your networks. You know, make sure that you're not running this um, internally. Check your filters. Make sure you, you know somebody who came before you, because I know it wasn't you if you're listening. Um, <laughs> make sure that maybe somebody who came before you isn't, uh, you know, wasn't filtering these prefixes in a, you know, perhaps misguided fit of rage or who knows what. Because um, it'll definitely cause you problems here before long. That's all I got. Yep. If you're lucky, it won't. It potentially could. It's a headache you don't want on a 3 a.m. on a Sunday morning. So maybe go ahead and start looking at it. But that's all I have to say. I hope everyone found this uh, short. Uh, what are we calling it? Non-blocking. We'll have to come cut, up with cut, a better name. Cut through. Yeah. <laughs> it's, we, you know, <laughs> quick chat. This is this quick is check. The, I don't know. This is the pretty raw and unfiltered uh modem podcast right here yeah it doesn't have the uh the fiber does not have the, sh- the sheath on it i don't know <laughs> it doesn't, there's no there's no boot on the uh, on the on the cat five cable yeah somebody stripped off like you know 10 inches of jacket off the cat five cable. <laughs> yeah. untwist untwisted all the pairs just oh. for extra <laughs> extra flexibility all right let's not punish the listeners anymore with our nonsense so anyway thanks for listening uh i am uh nick braulio you can find me on uh, the twitters at forwarding plane a blog at forwardingplane.net and chris where can people find you find me on the twitters at cranky net man and you can find me on the network collective slack channel i'm on there it's a good place 
yes, also I am on there as well. Um, and of course, modem.show, listen to it, like it on whatever, uh, Apple podcasts or Google something or other, or whatever the kids are doing nowadays. And, uh, thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in to the Modem Podcast, where yesterday's modems are today's transponders. For more information or to request a topic, please visit modem.show.